guys, what's going on? Welcome back to another ESL podcast. I'm not exactly sure when you guys are going to get this. This might get backlogged just a little bit, but when you get it, you know what, you got it. Because there are a lot of new things that are going to be coming out over the next several days. So again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. My name, as always, is Arsenio, man, a lot of new people. And today is a special, baby. We're going to talk about some dangerous roads. Guys, this is a listening I'm going to see how you guys respond to this because I think in the last listening, not many people listen, but you know what? Because this is the world's most dangerous road recording, I think you guys are going to find this very interesting. Also, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. Oh, well, yeah, maybe a couple or two. Yeah, I'll tell you a couple of stories because one loopholes into the monster and then I never did it again. And Andre, yes, Andres Catala, he is my best friend. Met him 20 years ago. Uh, he's going to come on my podcast. Why? He's from Puerto Rico. Uh, I've been wanting to bring Puerto Rico on, but guys, I've already told you that this podcast can get a little bit re- <laughs> crazy, and a lot of things could be revealed. So that's gonna be that's gonna be very funny. And his speech is really interesting. He has a little bit of a New York accent now. He's been living there for nine years. Of course, he's living out there in New York, running a factory and stuff. So um, this is going to be a real fun podcast. You guys are going to love this. So anyways, he's going to tell you his side of the story, but I'm also going to give you my side of the story this morning. But, uh, or when you got, yeah, well, this morning, technically. So uh, guys, with that being said, I'm going to give you guys this listening. We're going to talk about the most dangerous road and then... I'll throw some speaking questions at you guys to ponder, to do some free writing about, and then we will go from there. So here we go. Let's uh, play this bad boy, and you guys listen closely. Of course, if you guys want to do the additional assignment, it's on the ArsenioBuckShow.com. And yes, there are seven questions that needs to be answered. So again, each question has three answers, potential answers, and you guys have to obviously choose the correct one. If you want the answers to these, you're going to have to respond to me and say, hey, I would like to have the answers. That's the only way you're going to get the answers. (laughs) Let's get into this. It's not the only candidate, but standing here, high up in the Andes Mountains of Bolivia, this mountain track, which I can just see through the rolling clouds, certainly looks like it lives up to its reputation as the most dangerous road in the world. The road goes from La Paz to Corioco, travelling through the high plains of the Andes to the subtropical jungles of the Amazon and descending 3,000 metres on the way. Even though this is the world's most dangerous road, or perhaps because it is the world's most dangerous road, it has, in the last few years, become one of the most popular tourist sites in the world for people looking for thrills and excitement. Bill Shipman works on the road. I work for a mountain biking company. And we take people down El Camino de la Muerte, or Death Road. I've been doing this for a few years now, and I've definitely seen an increase in the number of tourists coming here. They're typically young people travelling around the world or South America. They've read about this place in their guidebooks, and they come straight here. They come basically for the rush of adrenaline that you get from cycling down it. Of course, people who live here think we're all mad. But this has become big business too. 
Death Road. It's certainly a worrying name. Although it could be a bit of an exaggeration, because it's really just a narrow path next to the edge of the mountain. It's about 54 kilometres long, and in many sections it's only big enough really for one car to pass at a time. It goes winding this way and that, and it's often impossible to see what vehicle is coming the other way until it's too late. The road got its name from bus and truck accidents. Thousands of people have lost their lives here. Wow. One year, 26 vehicles fell off. 320 people died, which is a lot of people on a road that isn't used that much. I couldn't really be sure how many cyclists have died here, but I think it's about 18 or 19. In fact, the number of accidents has fallen drastically now that a new, much safer road has been completed, taking nearly all the trucks and buses off the road. However, you're never really safe, because sometimes a truck still swings round the corner just when you're least expecting it. Over 30,000 cyclists have completed the journey over the last 10 years, but with deaths still occurring, every precaution for safety has to be taken. Before we begin each trip, it's customary to pay our respects to Pachamama. She's the Bolivian Earth Goddess. Then we begin the ride gently so that the riders can get to know the bike, the terrain, the traffic. We also have quite a few rest stops and we usually have a support vehicle following us. We use it to take people who get tired, injured or just too scared to carry on. One of the main reasons for the number of accidents is the weather. There can often be heavy cloud and pouring rain, making the path slippery. At first the road goes uphill, and the fact that you're so high means that there is very little oxygen in the air. Then comes the downhill section, no easier than going uphill. It takes masses of concentration. You start going faster and faster, which means that the chance of a fall gets greater. Most of the biking companies take a 100-metre rope with them for rescues, but on some sections of the road, the drop can be up to 600 metres, so a mistake can be fatal. Forget the rope. People just want to look up and around and see the scenery, but you just have to keep looking down at the road. We tell them before the start, you mustn't look at the rocks, you mustn't look at the cliffs, you mustn't look at the scenery. Concentrate 100% on you and your bike. So why do people go? The feeling of satisfaction when you get back is immense. What they really want to do is get back home and tell all their friends how they survived Death Road. And there it is, guys. It's kind of interesting, right? I mean, just him topping it off, saying they just want that satisfaction, that noble, that nobleness to go home and say, yeah, I went on Death Road in Bolivia. Oh, I would love to visit Bolivia, man. I had a Bolivian friend. Um, man, I just, I don't know. I just, that's that's heritage. You know what I mean? I think Latino heritage is a lot of what I am. Um, but again, he said it goes like into the Amazon and a couple of other places. Pretty crazy, huh? But um, the biggest problem is that people just want those bragging rights, but they can often be fatal. It's kind of like, why do people climb Everest? Why? 
And you know what? Les Brown, he actually said that in one of these, uh, his videos. One of the first motivational videos I came across in the times that I had a lot of psychological warfare happen being in this country. And I remember he said, why do people climb high mountains? It's because it's worth it. That's, they have to go after what is theirs in the universe. And so, anyways, I think it was just... It's amazing what people put on the line, their, their most precious, the most precious commodity of all, their life. Putting it on the line for bragging rights. So, I love the way he used those modals, by the way. You mustn't, you mustn't, you mustn't. I'm sure you guys heard that uh, on a number of occasions. This relates to, of course, the grammar I did, the grammar exercise I did just a few days ago. Um... But guys, would you ever consider going on a long, dangerous road such as this one to go cycling and whatnot? Why or why not? I want you to throw that on some free riding. But um, And then, of course, you need to ask yourself, have you ever done something dangerous? So back when I first started going to college, here are my stories. Back in 2006, it was a mess. I'm just going to tell you flat out, it was a mess. It was such a boring college, being at Central Arizona College. We were surrounded by a desert full of big rattlesnakes. I'm talking about, like, maybe four-meter-long rattlesnakes and uh, big tarantulas, bullfrogs, toads, which could give you warts, uh, and javelinas. Javelinas are black pigs with tusks. They are not boars. They have tusks, and they chase people. And so... They come out at night, and so the campus, of course, there they said be very, very aware of your surroundings after night falls because, again, javelinas do have a tendency of coming out, and they have a tendency of chasing people. Can they kill you? No. But they, if they get a stab in you, you could be in big, big trouble. If they get one of those big tusks in you, you could be in a lot of trouble, okay, because there isn't a proper hospital around for maybe an hour, so they would have to airlift you. But anyways, we would climb up this mountain that was just in the backside of our dormitories because, of course, we had nothing else to do. So we would go up there probably after breakfast, probably before lunch, come back down, and then, of course, go to lunch or do it after. Uh, Primarily on Saturday and Sunday because we had nothing else to do. No, there wasn't a no trespassing. It's just what bored college students would do in the age of 2006. Obviously, now there are millions of other things that we can do in terms of learning. We don't have to risk our lives, you know, weaving through jumping cacti, literally. You guys can look that up. Um, There were on a number of occasions that these uh, the cacti would jump on us, and it's very, very painful. And after, you know, a little bit of the blood comes out, that little area gets a little inflamed because, again, allergic reaction and whatever kind of thing, whatever it's, whatever are in the spikes of that. So I would do that. I became an adventurer, you know? I was like, some people call themselves wanderlust. I love to, call, you know, travel. I'm a wanderlust. Me, I love to take risk. You know what? That was the biggest risk. Uh, the biggest risk I've ever taken was just a few days shy of the, uh, what is it, Christmas in 2006. My friend and I, who I'm going to be bringing on the podcast so we could discuss this, uh, we went up Sunrise Mountain, which is a colossal mountain out there in Las Vegas, and it took about two and a half hours to climb all the way up, but we weren't necessarily climbing only the last 10 minutes. One slip, and we would be dead. So, again, when we finally got to the top, it was amazing. To see Las Vegas at that height, 
it was spectacular. On the other backside of that mountain was a literally like a 3,000 foot drop all the way down. 3,000 feet. Yes, I'm not exaggerating. You can look up the statistics if you need to. And I was just worried. Yes, at the top, I did see a helicopter fly up there and drop someone off at a radio tower. And I joked with Andre. I was like, hey, well, you know what? <laughs> if we get stuck, we can always call the police to come save us. Yeah. After that, an argument happened about 10 minutes later. I said, Andre, we can't go back down where we just come, where we just, where we had just come up because we could die. We can't go over here. We can't go over there. We can't do this. And I'm like, well, what else can we do? It's, you know, nightfall is going to be coming very, very soon. We got to, we got to do something. So we call 911. We call the emergency. And I remember, hello, listen, we got a big emergency. My friend and I, Andre and his friend, Dominique, his girlfriend, Dominique, we are stuck on Sunrise Mountain. The lady thought we were bullshitting. I was like, we are not bullshitting. There are two sides. There are two towers. There's a South Tower and a North Tower. We're at the North Tower. We just saw a helicopter drop a guy off at that little whatever that power plant place thingy that we're just outside of. And after a while, she, you know, she realized that we weren't joking. And she's like, okay, listen, we're going to send a chopper up there to get you. Make sure you're not near the platform. Da, 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 da. So the next thing you know, the guy that got dropped off up there, he was like, hey, guys, come on in. He's like, what happened? Oh, don't worry. The cops will come get you. That's okay. He said, look at this. And we looked inside. They had all these computers. And I was like, dude, this is crazy. There was still a little bit snow on the mountain. And next thing you know, that helicopter landed. And, of course, the police aren't going to be happy. No, we didn't have to pay for it. Luckily, he said taxpayers have to pay for it. But he was disgusted. <laughs> he was angry. Oh, my God. That man was Boy, he was angry. He was like, guys, he just looked at us like we were the stupidest human beings on the planet. And he was like, you could go over there and go down and go. I said, it's 4 p.m. There ain't no time. There ain't no time. What lives on these mountains? Are you going to save us? We don't have flashlights. We don't have anything. And so he said, listen, hold on to the umbrella when you're in the helicopter. If you don't, you fall, you die. They did not give a damn about us. Trust me. So they dropped us off one by one, and there was a crowd at the bottom wondering what the fu- what the hell's going on. A helicopter is going down and coming up to get us. It was the funniest thing ever. Like 15 people are like, oh, my God, what happened? What happened? We were like, well, we got stuck. We had nothing. We couldn't do anything else. So, guys, when I got home, it was almost a bit full-on fist fight with my brother. He was, I don't know why I called my mom and said, Mom, I'm stuck on the mountain, stupid 18-year-old me. Oh, my God! Ah! She was about to cry. She called the whole world. Went home. My brother wanted to kill me. Like, he really gave a damn. But he wanted to kill me. Um, and, yeah, people were angry for about 24 hours. And then, finally, we forgot about everything. So, uh, yeah, it was... Oh, really, really crazy. It was a really tough, uh, you know, and that was the last time I did anything that risky. So, um, I don't know why I did that. I just wanted to be an adventurer. I love scenery. But after that and having to be saved, uh, that was the biggest wake-up call. However, if we get into the craziness of what's going on with social media and how people are, you know, risking their lives, there have been a number of deaths from YouTubers, right? Because they want to get that perfect picture. How many people have died because they wanted to take pictures of them doing pull-ups on Chinese buildings out there in China? How many people have died um, because, oh my god, what is it? You, you know, get, trying to just get that perfect selfie. 
it now that is not reasonable whatsoever. Now some people would say, well, that is reasonable because compared to that, okay, you can try to argue all you want, but I will never do that. And you know what? I could just find that picture online, and they're doing it just for the likes and just for the fame. That's the worst part. So, guys, that's my story. Those are my stories. Um, And you know what? You got some free writing topics to do. Make sure you check the blog. Do the task on there. Practice your listening. See which is which. And with that being said, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another ESL podcast. Any questions, you make sure you let me know. I'm your host, Arsenio, as usual. Over and out.